0: In order for us to work together, we need to trust one another. That's, right. uh, that's just the way it is. Now, trust is something that, that, that is built up over time with, um, with proof points and so on, but it can be gained very easily. Welcome to your personal branding podcast with Bernard Kelvin Clive, your number one career and business podcast in Ghana, bringing you expert interviews and insights into personal branding, personal development and publishing. Now, here's your host, Bernard Kelvin Clive.
1: All right, welcome to another edition of your personal branded podcast, and I'm excited and particular about this episode to have a renowned international leadership company culture expert, Colin James Brown. Colin, welcome to the podcast show. Thank you, Bernard. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure I treasure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Me too. Uh-huh.
1: Colin, I just gave what it called breathing and a Who, Colin is? We want the world to really
0: know who Colin James Brown. Is. So, Bernard, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a business guy with a with an itch that I can't stop scratching. I guess I, I um I, a number of years ago. I mean, I've started I've started businesses um off and on uh, over the last. Well, crikey, it's been 24 years, I think, since I uh, since since I, I left formal employment. So, um, in my very early 20s. So, um, and and along the way, of course, you know, you you've got a sense as a business person of how to um, how to develop a product and how to market that product. You can get very excited about it. Um, and along the way, you learn a little bit about selling, and you learn a bit about uh, how to manage the numbers, how to manage the money, and so on. But the one thing that's always seems to be lacking, and, and this I, I observe across the board with businesses, is how to manage people mm. and how to get the best out of them, how to create great teams. If we, if we understand that, that human beings are contractually obligated to come to work and perform certain tasks, but they're not contractually obligated to do so with a great attitude, that's just something we hope they'll bring. And if we understand that, then then we must, we must observe that there's, there's, there, there are more things that we need to do or things that we we perhaps should be learning, um, about how to get the most out of them. And in particular, I started a company in 2006 called Sales Guru, um, which is, which is a going concern still. It's no longer mine, but it's a great, it's a great business here in South Africa. Uh, and, um, a, a few years into that, having done really great work, punching way above our weight, we hired a human being who made, a very substantial negative change to the company and the thing that wasn't the thing that really worried me about it, the thing that 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 struck me as as the most absurd was this wasn't a leadership person it was somebody we hired that just as an employee they were there to do a particular job Um, and but the impact of that one human being that was badly chosen was immense and, and we had, we had all sorts of, I mean the company devolved into, into politics and into cliques and into rumors and all sorts of things, things that had never been there before. Now the thing that struck me, and this is really why I got onto this particular track about organizational culture and leadership and employee engagement, was that in hiring this person, we didn't do anything different to how we'd hired all the people we'd ever hired and so it occurred to me that we maybe we just got lucky up until that point because we really had a good team of people and maybe we just got lucky and it struck me that as the leader it's not appropriate to simply blame the employees since I'm the one who hired her you know at the end of the day I made a choice and having made that choice if I didn't learn what I had done that 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 it enabled me to make such a bad decision then I wasn't you know I couldn't prevent myself from making that decision again in the future the other thing was that if it was possible for the organization to just devolve into politics and all of the ugliness that we had I presume it had always been possible and that all, all we'd done was it introduce the catalyst <laughs> and so, so the, the, it required us to have a, a look at the organization as well and the way in which we built it and, and you know the philosophy with which we'd, we were running it and, and all of those sorts of things and it may sound like philosophy is a strange word to introduce in, in, in a business context but you know your philosophical outlook will determine how you write policies how you write procedures how you write processes it will determine how you manage and you know how you enable or how you control all of those things are very very relevant in terms of uh, I think a lot of the people management challenges that organizations face they haven't answered those questions fully and so they're doing things in a bit this way and a bit that way and they're getting mixed results because of course people are confused So that gave me that gave me this whole sort of um, this whole vein of working. Anyway, I couldn't find answers to the questions that I had following that that whole uh, experience. And so in the absence of of sort of strong case studies from 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 South Africa, from Southern Africa. I mean, they extended to Botswana, Namibia and and, and further afield. I thought the only option I had was to go out and create them. Um, So I I just started interviewing CEOs. I, I phoned them up and I said, look, you know, especially people who'd founded businesses that were now very successful. And I said, look, you know, this is the situation. This is what I'm interested in. And what I discovered, and this was this was going back the beginning um, of, of this was sort of 2012, was that there was a lot of interest in in organizational culture. There was a lot of interest in employee engagement, but only on a conceptual level. Companies hadn't really began to think about how what they would do about that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, in in, in the United States, that that had already been, for years, considered to be a a competitive advantage. Um, You know, the way companies built culture was uh, fully fully, uh, uh, influenced how they hired and who they hired. And then, you know, the results they got out of them. And let's not forget, Bernard, that this isn't about creating a fun working environment, although it is about that as well. Um, but it's about it's about creating performance it's about creating profits it's about driving the behaviors that we want out of people loyalty and engagement and it's about it's about creating um, the the uh, the context for them to be able to give that willingly voluntarily um, so that they come to work every day and they're taking ownership and they're getting involved and they they they're caring about their results um, and what I discovered in 2012, as I said, is that conceptually people were interested in that, but they they didn't they weren't really doing anything about it. Uh, and partly it was because they didn't know what to do, uh, and partly it was because it was just this this scary animal. And it, it's all well and good if you can copy someone, but if you're having to be the first one to jump, then then you know how do you jump and where do you jump to? So I, I just got the sense that companies didn't really know what to do about it in in this part of the world. And so. Um, what, I had some really, really fascinating conversations. I mean, it was 18 months of research on this. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it was conducted face to face with with company founders uh, of, of very impressive businesses. Um, and then, you know, from that, uh, I hadn't intended initially to write a book. I was just trying to solve a problem. But because I had so much material, I thought this will make a good book. So, so the next bit was to sit down and write that. What I discovered, though, and this was something that uh, yeah, I, I, I seem to, because this is a relatively new space and because this is relatively uh, modern thinking, um, what I keep discovering is that uh, we, we're further, so when I say we, I refer to my organization, Happy Sandpit. Um, we're slightly further ahead of the curve than, than the market is quite frequently. And I don't say that arrogantly. I just think that we've, we've, we've thought about things, we've got serious about this, perhaps before the market was ready. Um which by the way is a terrible business principle because i mean it was very very hard commercially for a number of years uh... just to try and try and create something that was viable but what we're finding now is a, a few years later the markets starting to come to us um, and, and one of the lessons i guess from that is that because we because we've been We've been recognized as an organization that speaks about this, mm-hmm. uh, because I've been recognized as somebody who speaks about this uh, for a number of years. Now that they're looking around for someone to turn to, they're coming to us. So, so I'm rather grateful for that. Um, so so let, yes.
1: let's, looking at this, how maybe it when when you get on an ag- organization and they are facing challenges with their leadership structure, company culture, what are the first few things you do to help them resolve that issue? And looking at the people engagement the cultural habit to transform such organization mm.
0: so the first step is always to find out what the organization actually is now that may sound like a a fairly obvious thing, but what's uh, what's more evident the more we get into this is that you know it's a bit like if if, if you you're probably quite a, a self aware person bernard uh, doing this and putting yourself forward like this but you you've probably got friends who don't seem to know themselves very well right. um and you know, we always say our friends know us better than we know ourselves. Um, organizations are much the same. They, they have a sense that they are X, Y, and Z, and then they can't work out why, why they're not getting the results they want. And so our, our first, our first part is that discovery, that, that, that exploration, um, uh, with managers, with, with leaders, uh, and, and with, uh, with, with the employees themselves to find out what they think the organization is. Cause they're experiencing it every day. And so it's all well and good for us to say that we are this wonderful, transparent, caring organization. But does that actually reflect in the experience that, that employees and, and leaders and so on have every day? And so the first part is, is, is this discovery. It's quite intrusive, I must tell you. It's very confidential, of course. Um, I mean when we're dealing with employees that is very confidential information that we do not share with leaders we'll share a broader a broader uh, sort of um uh, explanation of, of the, the themes that we're experiencing without revealing what individuals are, are saying because uh, we you know we must have we must we must be able to guarantee their security if they're going to be open with us um but with all of that i mean so so we we're doing we're doing precisely this work with a number of organizations at the moment and 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 uh, it's very fresh for me at the moment because we're we're right in that exploratory phase with one particular company um and it, it's quite a it's quite a a long draw well it's not long it's 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 perhaps 6 weeks long but it's quite an intense experience um of focus groups and questionnaires and face-to-face interviews and even as far as phoning customers and saying you know And this is all obviously with the organization's permission. Um, but phoning them and saying, you know, you deal with this organization. What's your experience of them? They think they're very easy to do business with. Are they? And and that sort of thing. With all of that, we've got a base point then. We're able to look at it. We're able to say, you want the organization to be like this. We think you've got one or two areas that are very strong where you could definitely build. There are one or two areas you've absolutely got to look at right now. How are we going to move forward? What are you comfortable doing? Um, and really, a, a lot of it is at that point we we are a guide, we are an accountability partner, uh, and 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 we really we sort of roll up our sleeves and get dug in just to make sure that that the the organization is is doing the work that it says it wants to do in order to get to to where it wants to be. It's quite a vague answer. Do, do you need more specifics than that?
1: Yep. Yeah, so, so we we're going to delve deeper uh, in in this way. So you, in in your training sections in your book, you have the. Five pillars of engagement that everybody yes. must. because Let's look at two main uh, main of the pillars of engagement for organisations.
0: Okay, so the one the one that's, that's um, that everybody always understands and everybody always thinks they're doing slightly better than they are is trust. Hmm. Um, organizations, we, we, in order for us to work together, we need to trust one another. Uh, That's just the way it is. Now, trust is something that that, that is built up over time with um, with proof points and so on, but it can be gained very easily uh, at first. I mean, if we if we're going to enter into a a business arrangement, Bernard, where I'm going to sell you a car, um, there's going to be certain things that you just accept that you'll trust in. Uh, You'll trust in the brand. You'll trust in the fact that there's some sort of you know legal uh, 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 expectation and and so on and and as a result of that you can trust me the salesperson to be doing the right thing but that doesn't mean you know that you'd allow me to babysit your kids or look after your dogs or anything like that we don't have that level of trust yet but there is a there is a basic level of trust that we can just automatically assume because we are in in what is a fairly normal transaction and 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 when that goes wrong you you feel terribly let down because you're supposed to be able to expect that basic level of trust um, in organizations, what we find is that there is a general willingness to extend trust, uh, but it generally it very often doesn 't manifest itself very well and so what happens is for example um, it, it, well I was dealing with a company just the other day that has a three hundred and fifty page policy book oh. and and I look at it and I think, "How did you manage to get here because that just speaks to a lack of trust uh, as all it is i mean the the, the simple the simple measurement is this, that most companies uh, write rules and policies to protect themselves against the 3% of people who might mess them around and handcuff the 97% that would never have done so anyway, even without the rule. You know? Most people generally are able to be trusted to a certain extent. Now, because we need we need things to go a certain way in business, we have to have some rules. We have to have some processes. We have to have some policies. But this is where I talk about philosophical intent of those. If we write policies and so on in order to enable, in order to speed things up, in order to get obstacles out of the way, but just to maintain a, cer- a certain normal sense of checks and balances, then, then we are inherently a trusting organization. If we're writing uh, rules and policies in order to control people and try to force them to go in a certain direction, then we are inherently not trusting them. Mm. Right? We, 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 we are we are asking them. And, and it, there's, there's this fabulous quote by Steve Jobs. I presume it's Steve Jobs. He, he's certainly credited with it. But it says we don't we don't make think it makes any sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. We hire, We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. All right. Right. So human beings generally have quite good brains. We, I trust that you've hired somebody because you believe in them. If you haven't, you need to work out why you hired them in the first place. Um, I trust that you be- you've hired them because you think you can trust them. If you don't feel you can trust them, same thing applies. Why did you hire them? So if that's the case, why are we trying to limit the way in which they think? Why are we trying to limit the uh, their ability to bring their own human intelligence to, to bear on the organization? um organizations that do a better job of that so, so here's here's a classic example the ritz-carlton chain of hotels um it's all over the world it's 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 a ultra luxury hotel chain um and they are renowned for great customer service at uh, just exceptional levels of customer service in, in fact when when apple wanted a model for their their apple stores for customer service they went to ritz-carlton to go and learn they teach the stuff at harvard uh, what what ritz-carlton does but i can distill it into one simple thing which is kind of mind-blowing at ritz-carlton every employee from the bellboy all the way up to the general manager has full responsibility when they notice a problem that needs to be solved or they see an opportunity to make a customer happy. They must act on that. It's it's part of their responsibility. Now, it's easy to say that. And most companies would say, we'd like you to, you know, look after the customer. But then what most companies would say is, but check with me before you do anything. Ritz-Carlton takes the opposite approach. What they say is, it's your responsibility and you may spend up to $2,000 uh, every time you see a problem or an opportunity. That's not, that's not per year or per month or per week or per day. It's per customer. Now, amazing, right? Now, let me unpack this a little bit because it's not quite as crazy as it sounds. It's actually very, very logical. Um, so, so you have a, um, a, 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 a guy come to the front desk, a businessman. He's staying at the hotel, and he says, look, I've got a really important business meeting in 45 minutes. I've been waiting for my suit to be re- returned from the dry cleaners. as it hasn't turned up. What am I going to do? The Ritz-Carlton employee phones. This actually happened. They phone the the front the, the dry cleaner. They say, is there any chance? The dry cleaner says, sorry, no, we've got a backlog. So the Ritz-Carlton employee says to the, the guest, come with me, let's go and buy you a suit. Oh. Now, it's fabulous customer service, right? right? It's incredible customer service. And the first the manager knows about it is when they receive the bill. The employee doesn't have to check with anybody. They may make that decision. But with great trust comes great responsibility. Right. In other words, when we 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 could write the policy to say, but you must do this and you must do that and you must do the other. But they also have adopted and they might have a different, totally different view of this, a totally different number for this. But they've adopted the point of view that we've hired people we can trust. We are probably safe with 97 percent of these people that they'll do the right thing. The three percent of people that we might be a bit wrong about, well, we might have to have a conversation now and then. We might have to say, look, you know, that was great customer service, but did you have to rent a helicopter or something? (laughs) But for the most part, the average spend per Ritz-Carlton employee per month is $50. So they're not spending that money. What they're doing is they are extending great levels of customer service, safe in the knowledge that if they can't fulfill on this, they've still got a backup plan. And then what Ritz-Carlton does is it hires people who are absolutely obsessed with customer service. And, 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 that's a particular type of person, Bernard. People with, with great hospitality in their soul. You may have it. I don't really have that. I'd be a particularly poor Ritz-Carlton employee. I'm a nice guy. I care about service, but I don't live it. Like it's not, for some people, they just rather make you a cup of tea than, than have one made for them. You know, some people are just comfortable. They just, they just live to serve. And if you take that kind of person and then you say to them, and I'm going to enable you to fulfill your best nature, they pretty much always will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by finding, finding people who really want to serve and then enabling them to serve, they create great customer service. And by trusting that they will do the right thing, Within guidelines, of course, it's not a free-for-all, but within guidelines, they get that great customer service they want, they get employees who are motivated to to deliver customer service because they know they can, they know they've got the support of management, and then off they go, and the whole thing just works. But if you hired great customer service people and then restricted them, you wouldn't get great customer service. If you hired people who weren't great at customer service necessarily, you wouldn't get, you've got to have both. And and that that requires an organization that is willing to extend high levels of trust. It's something we have to get comfortable with as companies. Not everybody's going to be comfortable with that at first, and nor should they. But if you can, then you can really start to deliver results. So that's one of the pillars. There there are five. I'll just name the other four, and then we'll talk about one. Um, So there's a taste for adult conversations, which we'll talk about now. Uh, There's the de-emphasis of hierarchy. Uh, There's respect for the two-way street. That's really about growth and there's uh, an obsession with values which is which is just one of the most important things any organisation can have but let's talk about let's talk about a taste for adult conversations because really what i mean by this is is that you know actually let me let me let me back out of this for one second bernard and just tell you about uh, something that will illustrate all of those things in action and then let's talk about a taste for adult conversations yeah, but one of the things that, 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 that I, I sort of a five-minute or a three-minute spiel that I will often sort of bring up just to illustrate the fundamental thinking behind what we do is what I call the myth of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So we speak about work-life balance as if it's, it's very common in today's language to speak yeah. about work balance balance. And what we mean by that is because work is so hard and because it takes up so much time and because it can be quite stressful, that we need to try and find balance in other ways. And and we often think in terms of taking up a hobby or having more holidays or spending more time with the kids or, or you know, switching the laptop off at weekends or whatever it might be. But but there seems to be a, a, a it seems very obvious to me that that doesn't really achieve a very great deal. When you come into work and work is stressful, it's still stressful no matter what. I think the problem and the reason that we speak about work life balance at all is because we don't make work feel like life. Mm. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. As an adult, uh, there are certain things that I expect from my life. There are certain things that I just take for granted. The first one is that uh, I have status. I have a home of my own. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown man with children. Um, I have, you know, I, the bank trusts me with a credit card. Clearly, I have, I have, I have, um, uh, I've, I've earned status in my life, um, and, and so that's just something that most adults feel. Mm. I'm able to make decisions for my life, and I make relatively good ones most of the time. Uh, I, I have trust in my relationship, and I don't just mean in terms of fidelity, although I hope that's true for everybody, but I mean in terms of, you know, my wife takes care of some things, I take care of some things, um, we both work together to make sure the family and the household runs, uh we don't have to have status update meetings at home bernard we don't we don't fill in excel spreadsheets to see you know whether or not we we've, we've fulfilled on the tasks i just know she's got my back and she knows i've got hers uh my my voice my opinion is valued i don't mean that i always have the final say um, or that things always go my way but it's very rare that anything happens that i know absolutely nothing about uh, we, we talk about things. And what I've got to say is weighed up you know, as equal value to what other people have to say. And that's not just in my relationship. That's in my life with my business associates and with, you know, with, 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 with all the people that I, that I, that I spend time with. Um, it, it's, it's common that we have a, a – that our opinion is valued. If not, we've got a problem with that relationship. Uh, I, um, I, 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 and, and then there, his, his – maybe the best thing about being a grown-up is that I get to pick who I spend time with. So if I find you very interesting, we might strike up a friendship. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll go out for dinner. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll write a book together. I don't know. If I don't like you, Bernard, I don't have to phone you ever. As a, as a grown up, I get to make that choice. Right. That's my life. Right? And, and, and it's made for me, by me. Uh, believe me, I'm very engaged in it. I enjoy it. I love it. And if something stops working in it, I go and do something about it. I'm very engaged in making it right. But when I come to work, and I don't mean me per se, but for a lot of people, when I come to work, something quite different happens. Far from being, you know, the head of a household and having status, my status is dictated by somebody else. That's just the way it is. And often that status has nothing to do with the way in which I perceive it. Uh, I'm not trusted, and we've just spoken about that. It's not that you don't trust me. It's just that in the, in the will to get rid of all potential errors in the organization or in, in the processes, you're asking me to just follow a set of rules rather than to think. <laughs> my opinion isn't valued. And again, it's not that you don't care per se. It's just that you don't have a, rest, a mechanism for me to get my voice heard. Uh, if I do speak out, I don't know that you're actually listening to me. Uh, so, so I tend not to. But if you, if I don't feel trusted to use my human intuitiveness, and I don't feel that I've really got a voice in terms of being able to make suggestions, then you can't ask me to take ownership of anything, mm. because I'm not responsible for the outcome by default. And then here's here's the the, the 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 final thing about about you know being an employee is that I don't get to pick who I spend time with; somebody else does, and I just have to try and get along with them. And really, the objective of organizational culture is to try and overcome all of these things. So what happens is that I come to work and I put on a work hat. I'm not really responsible for the outcomes. I'm not fully engaged in trying to fix them if they don't work. It's just kind of it's the manager's responsibility, and I just do my job. And a lot of organizations have that very problem, and it's, it's maybe the biggest problem we face. It's really the reason that I have a business, and it's the reason that um, it's very I'm very grateful that I'm starting to see... Um, i are starting to, to see more and more organizations starting to realize this and do something about it. So let's go back to that taste for adult conversations, which is the second part there. It's about having my voice heard and being having my opinion valued. Um, uh, there was a, a, very, um, a very clever, very, very uh, good CEO of Hewlett-Packard a number of years ago called Lou Platt. And Lou Platt once made the statement that if HP knew what HP knows... It would be three times as profitable. And what he meant by that was there's a huge number of people working for HP. I mean, any organization that has a number of people working for it has a number of brains. Those brains, if you could collect them on have one big brain, if you could somehow link them all up, the, the, the number of solutions to problems that you would have available to you would be vastly enhanced because as much as we might you know, we might all be Ghanaian men, or we might be be South African women, or we might be, you know, some of us are old, some of us are young, some of us are divorced, some of us are married, some of us have children, some of us don't, some of us have worked in this, some of us have worked in that, some of us have worked overseas, some of us have gone to university. There's a lot of different points of view, lots of different opinions, lots of different experiences. And organizations that drive higher levels of engagement are ones that are able to to learn from themselves. Most organizations are quite good at training. They're not that good at learning. The learning comes from the people that we have there, which means what we must aspire to do to be a great organization is to understand what it is we already know. And we only get to that by, first of all, creating the, the culture, the philosophical framework that says it's okay to speak out. We'd like to know what you think. And then to create mechanisms to drive that. And, and those things don't have to be expensive or complicated. Uh, so there's, there's a particular organisation here in South Africa that just has the most most elegant, simple way of driving this. They 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 a company called Ovations Group. They're an IT company, and they have every second Friday. They have what they call espresso sessions, and they've been doing this for years. And all it is is the CEO and the CFO sit down every two weeks on a Friday for two hours with randomly selected employees. They 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 don't. It's not an opportunity to talk about work, uh, so they don't want to know about your problems at work or the photocopier is not working or whatever it might be. Um, there isn't an agenda for the conversation per se. It's just a conversation. They'll put something on the table, like they'll say, "Let's talk today about tradition," just because it's something just to kickstart the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But as you know, when smart people are talking, a conversation will go all over the place. Okay. And and because there is a general sense at that company now that it's okay to speak, that that actually people are listening. And without prejudice, they're interested in hearing what you've got to say. What they believe now is that out of any one of those sessions, they will get five ideas that can improve the business, Amazing. even though they're not talking about the business. Amazing. Yeah, that's just tapping into the people's brains, Bernard. It's 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 a it's a very 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 important thing for organisations to do if they wish to be great, if they wish to grow, because it's all about you know you can obsess about. Um, the, the numbers. You can obsess about sales. You can obsess about operations. You can obsess about all of those things. But all you're doing in thinking about those things first and foremost is you're creating an upstream problem, which is the people, because none of those things work properly unless the people work to drive them.
1: So, so it's imperative that organizations start developing ways to be able to tap into the brains of their, uh, I mean, workers.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, to, it's all about encouraging workers to take ownership, to take, um, you know, to be fully engaged, to, to to be accountable. People generally are able to do this. They do it in their lives. There's no reason why they shouldn't do it at work. And one assumes that they're working at your organization because they like it. I mean, they've got a choice. They could go and work somewhere else if they really hated it. So one assumes that they care. We just have to enable them. To express that in in thought and in action and in deed. And so that's really that's really what, a lot of what we aim to achieve with organisations is to just improve that 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 people engagement, improve that people performance, because within that lies the key to profit and growth.
1: The time will not allow us to delve deeper into a lot of areas, but um in the, in the next few minutes, can you really give us about three actionable things you want? organizations that the SMEs, established ones to take action on now especially from content from your book, How to Build a Happy sandpit.
0: Yeah, so the first thing I want them to do, and especially SMEs, because it's it's, it's it's important to get this stuff right early. You've got to get your habits right when you're young and the same thing happens for a business. The first thing is to understand what kind of business you want to be. And, and I mean, I mean don't, not in terms of what you do operationally but how you want to think. You have to lock that down. How we're going to, because you're going to be faced with things you didn't expect, and they're going to demand that you react in a certain way. And rather than being arbitrary and random and presenting a totally different uh, set of uh, explanations to to the people in your organization, you need to have a deep sense of what it is that you want to, to uh, how how it is that you intend to think and how it is that you intend to to to, to be. And, 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 then, and then be brave enough to be that. There isn't a cookie cutter way to build a business. Each one is as individual as the person that started it. Each one is as individual as a management team that runs it. So there isn't a right or wrong for this. Um, a second one would be to, and, and, uh, it, 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 to understand the reason that you're in business in the first place. It's not, if you are selling cars, then that is the operational thing that you do in order to achieve the outcome that you want. But what is that outcome? We can so easily lose sight of the outcome, Bernard. We think we're just here to make money and to sell products. But we're not. That's never what we started the business for. And the moment you lose that, you lose the soul of the organization and you lose a massive competitive advantage. And and then the third thing is with all of those things in place, and this is really the biggest thing you can do. Think, have a clear idea of the kinds of people that you want to work for you. How they think, what they believe, how they act. You know, think and be very, very clear. Because your interviewing process really should be probably quite different to what it is. I imagine that right now most organizations, and I'm speaking to all the business owners out there, you're good at finding people who have the skills and experience that you need but there's a massive difference between people who can do the work and people who actually will Mm. and your job and it's the one thing that will save you a million tons of sweat and tears and hard hours and unpleasant conversations find out Think deeply about the kinds of people you want to work there. in terms of how they work together, in terms of how they do teamwork, in terms of how individual and entrepreneurial they are, or rather how, how deeply embedded in working with teams they are. There's going to be a blueprint for this. It's not an exact thing, but you're going to get close. Because the closer you are, the better you'll be able to uncover those things in the interview. And you'll be able to make a decision that if you let this person into your company, they'll they'll fit in well and they'll get along well with the other employees if they do not you're going to have to manage them all the time and i can't work out why you'd ever choose to do that to yourself
1: mm-hmm. all right so the good news is that we haven't calling james brown coming together on the 22nd of april 2017 so if you want to get more of this as an organization uh, as an individual for your business to bring your stuff around it's this april 22nd um of april this year and you need to just get rich that the good news is that if you are listening to this podcast wherever you find yourself to be social media wherever just use the code bkc colon one that's b-k-c-c-o-l-i-n one and you're going to get discounts on your tickets because you need to help your organization and your business grow so just call the numbers or get a l- links from ego tickets and just use the code bkc one and get a discount for you and your staff and get to listen to more from the business coach, Colin James Brown. Colin, I always ask this on my podcast, what would be your $1 billion advice to the world?
0: My $1 billion advice to the world. Have integrity in everything you do. Do what you say, say what you mean and act on that. Be transparent so you don't have to um, ever sort of uh, try and explain yourself. Clarity is everything.
1: Clarity, integrity is what you need
0: all right, thank 100%. You. Thank
1: you so much, Colin. Uh, where can one get in touch with you with your coaching services and your books? How do we connect with you after this?
0: So you can you can uh, email me on colin c o l i n at happysandpit dot com. So happy being happy, as you know, sandpit the thing that children play in. It's h a p p y s a n d p i t dot com. And you can email, email me there. I'd love to hear from you.
1: All right, thank you so much. I'm grateful for all the insights shared and listeners. If you need more resources and insights, don't forget to connect to Colin James Brown or get a ticket to the program, the Culture Summit that is happening 22nd of April at African Regent Hotel. Just visit egotickets.com and search for the Culture Summit. Use the code when you call that BKC Colin one get a discount for you and your staff. Come and listen to Colin. Get his book to help your business and your organization to grow, become a global brand. I wish you the best. And for any other resources, just shoot me an email at info at bkc.name. The best is yours.